And this new life takes up what he experienced in humanity, our own human being, and uh, takes it into God and transforms our humanity in a way that is very difficult to talk about. But the real, if we could only put it simple, then I would have to say it's kind of, um, it's kind of easy to see why this Jesus of Nazareth ended up on the cross. Why knowledge matters. Welcome back, Father Joachim Ostermann. I'm so excited, especially in Easter times. What is Easter and what is the significance? Well, Easter is our biggest holiday. It's not Christmas, but Easter. So Easter really is the highlight of the Christian year. And um, well, its significance is that Christ is risen, that Christ um, rose to new life. And this new life takes up what he experienced in humanity, our own human being, and uh, takes it into God and transforms our humanity in a way that is very difficult to talk about. But the real, if we could only put it simple, then I would have to say it's kind of, um, it's kind of easy to see why this Jesus of Nazareth ended up on the cross. If you really imagine somebody preaching what he preached and living like he lived, uh, and really this message of, um, of love, love of God, but also unconditionally turning to God and really the radicalness of his teaching, you really would expect him to get into trouble. So the fact that the disciples kind of abandoned him at the cross, that he died alone, um, those parts, I think, a modern cynic would easily find that acceptable. And of course, Jesus said himself, all the prophets ended up being killed by those who were preaching to. So his fate is quite typical for a prophet, but he's not just a prophet. And that's what Easter tells us. He's much more than that. He's really the word of God. And his rising to new life, that really is the Easter joy. The fact that Christ rose to new life, that really our human life was brought to a completion in him that is yet to be anticipated by us. So this gives us a sense of what happiness and um, the sense that our own lives, which uh, tend to be full of failures, with a lot of things we try, we never succeed, a lot of disappointments, hurts, pains, abuses even that we suffer, and that we can go through all of that, draw close to God, and rise above it in eternal life, that really our failure, our hurts and pains, our sufferings do not mean that God abandoned us, not like, like Job who thought that God abandoned him. We can really know, no, actually, we suffer with the world in, her, in the world's separation from God. We suffer with all those who, are, who suffer unjustly, the, those who are abused, those who are, um, who are suffering from war, um, all those who are persecuted. We suffer with them as Christ suffered with them, and we can rise with them to new life. And this is such a beautiful message for the Christian that we can really trust in our Christian life that our sufferings in life are not the end, not the rejection from God, but indeed we can draw closer to God in them and then rise to new life. That gives us happiness. And not just happiness in the sense of enduring pain, but the sense of real happiness that knows that God loves us, God is with us, 
and he'll with, be with us for all eternity. There's light at the end of the tunnel, you could say. If you really feel depressed and if you really feel upset about something, there's really the true light of Christ shining brightly at the end of the tunnel. This is Easter joy. So we're getting ready for that today. Easter Triduum begins and it really finds its fulfillment in the Easter Vigil on Easter Sunday. And every Sunday of the church year, we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter, the risen Christ, every day of the year. And this is why Christian life is meant to be lived in joy. Not the joyful anticipation of worldly success, but the joyful participation in the success that Jesus already won for us when he arose on Easter Sunday. And so I think critical here is really the fact that he rose right after exactly. his death. Now, how do you justify this if people say, well, this might not have had happened, or in other words, it might have, or it's a myth? How do you respond to such a question? Well, in, in this internet age, there's so many facts out there which I don't dispute, which have been called a myth. I don't want to list them even, but, uh, it, but it's simply, if you really want to have trust in facts and to know facts from myth, then you have to get a good grasp as to what is true, what is real, what is believable. And the message of Christ is utterly believable. And it cannot be proven other than by the fact that it is worthy of unconditional faith. So I could go through the historical evidence now. But I won't bother because you can go through the historical evidence of let's of any event in history, and somebody will say, "Well, what if it's wrong?" and so on and so on. You have to put it in the big picture of all you know, all of human history, and in that, the risen Christ is clearly attested in the experience of the faithful, beginning with the apostles who saw him and who came back to faith after having abandoned him, beginning with the church that was founded on the knowledge of the risen Christ. So, for me. The historical evidence for it is worth discussing and going over it, and the good books written about it. But for me, the fact of faith is simply so evident that the risen Christ is quite literally with us. There is also a radical claim that he was fully human, but also at the same time, God or the exactly. God's son. And that is mind-boggling. And of course, you cannot truly appreciate that. But if you imagine who is God, if you realize God is transcendent, God cannot possibly be something that I can understand, some logical principle like mathematics, which I can wrap my head around. And anything that I can understand cannot be God because God is always greater than my understanding. God is infinite, God is eternal being. So any language of God is just an approximation of what God, what God really is. And if I speak of God, the first thing I have to know is that I'm speaking of something beyond my capacity. So this is why any reductionist view of God, the God who has to prove himself to me, really it's, it's, it's sacrilegious. It, just, it, it turns away from God. The only way we can truly know God is if God chooses to reveal himself to us. And this is why the incarnation is a necessary presupposition for God really to be with us. We can only truly understand another human being because only, only other human beings have experiences like we do that we can share, that we can talk about, that we can truly love and appreciate. I couldn't love God if it weren't for Jesus Christ because if I loved God in the abstract, then what, what am I loving? It doesn't, it's like, a, I, have to, I can love another person. And this is my love of God requires God 
to humble himself to reach out to us. And this is beautiful. This is, of course, like the Christmas faith. And um, it, is, it is really the joy of Easter to really fully appreciate how beautiful it is that God, who is always far beyond me, chose to, to show himself to us. And then not only to reveal himself in, in a book, but to share our life, to share our suffering, and to show us how this was lifted up into eternal life. That will be the beauty of the Christian faith. And I, I find it completely convincing. I think that was very important what you said. It's really also experiential. So if you read the scripture, for example, if you listen to people who are educated in scriptures such as you, then we can truly start somehow relate to our own experiences yes. and then we can really truly start uh, appreciating what actually the the message and, really and you see means. and you see christ-like figures today you see other men and women um, who really live a christian life who really like the founder of my order saint francis who somehow find a way to really live the life of christ um, in their own lives and participate in it including suffering Francis suffered the stigmata and uh, the wounds of Christ. So you, it's, it's continuous in that in way the participation. And this is why the risen Christ is not an abstraction of, um, of historical analysis, but the risen Christ is an experience that the Christian faithful have in their own lives and the lives of other believers in the church and the sacraments and all of that. This is very real, as real as the abstractions of physics are real, but much more important much more important in the sense that this is about life. This is about the meaning of my life and how it's being taken into the meaning of God for all creation. Then who is God itself? Who is God himself? <laughs> the ultimate mystery, the ultimate uh, the destination, the, um, the starting point from which it all originates, the point of return to where it all goes. The most important thing is when you answer the question, God, of who is God, do not fall into the trap of believing that your answer is complete. So he's the beginning and the end. Um, he's the origin and the destination. But any language of God has to recognize that you're speaking of something, someone who is far beyond our, our comprehension. But sometimes the best way to speak of God is silence. Sometimes the best way to speak of God is not to say who God is, because we may fall into the trap of arguing and saying, well, he's this, but not that. When we speak of God himself, that's quite dangerous. So we have to know we're talking of, when we, when we talk of God, we have to be respectful to let God speak for himself. And that's why we just have to rule out false images of God. God is not some kind of manager of worldly affairs. He is not the chief meteorological officer determining the weather. And um, he is not some kind of tinkerer with creation who puts different creatures on the planet. God is much more than that. But we can know God by taking part in his life in human form, which is Jesus Christ. So God in the abstract is a philosophical term, and I have to be careful not to misunderstand God. But God in the concrete, that's the life of Jesus Christ. And that's why Easter gives me this hope that I can really live this life because he took it up into all eternity. What's your favorite activity during Easter? Well, I'm a priest. So for me, Easter is the Easter Triduum. 
So my so when we're done uh, with this interview, uh, which is today's Holy Thursday when we're taping this, and of course Holy Thursday in the evening begins the Easter Triduum. So one of my favorite liturgies is the Easter Triduum. It's the Holy Thursday liturgy, where the priest gets to wash the feet of 12 disciples as a symbol for the humility of Christ who washed the feet of his disciples to show the humility of service. So I have the foot washing to look forward to. And uh, the Easter, the Holy Thursday service has this beautiful structure of having a festive beginning, a truly festive beginning, like uh, almost a little Easter, but then ending in silence, the sadness of anticipation of, of Good Friday, the death of the cross. So it ends in silence, not some closing hymn and a big party afterwards. Holy Thursday ends in silence. And then we enter into the silence of Good Friday. So tomorrow on Friday, this is three o'clock, Good Friday service. But it's not a mass. It's a, good, it's a recollection of the death of Christ on the cross. It begins very solemnly with prayer. It ends very solemnly in silence. And all of Friday has the spirit of silence and praying and being close to the suffering Christ on the cross and remembering his death, how he was mistreated. And then on Saturday night, the Easter Vigil. So the Easter Vigil, of course, is the highlight of my life of faith, and I look forward to that every year. And it's, it's a lot of work to prepare. It's a very big celebration, much larger celebration than ordinary Sunday services. But it's beautiful, and it's much to look forward to. So I'm very glad that I get to celebrate the whole Triduum with the parish community. And uh, I was invited to one of the parishes in the Montreal area to celebrate the Triduum with them. I look forward to that. And for me as a priest, that is definitely the best part of Easter. With whom, Father, do you celebrate Easter? So of course I celebrate Easter in my community here in, in Montreal, in the Franciscan Friary. But this year I was invited to celebrate the Easter Triduum with the parish community um, in, in Longueuil, just uh, south of Montreal. Um, they had a shortage of priests, so they were glad uh, to, to have me to have um, one more priest to share uh, the liturgical workload. And they look forward to that because it is such an, it's, it's almost a treat to get a chance to celebrate Easter with a parish community, with the people. And um, it is wonderful to have our own fiery community. But to go into the world and celebrate Easter with the people is a beautiful thing to do. But then I also look forward to coming back to the fiery on Easter Sunday, and then we'll all get together with a nice festive meal with good food and good wine, and we can celebrate the risen Lord together. Father Joachim Ostermann, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and thank you for sharing your important insights. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I wish you a happy Easter. Likewise, Father Joachim Ostermann.